Thanks, Randy. Well, good morning once again. Uh, for those who came in after the welcome, Happy New Year. So good to see you all. Uh, I'm a bit surprised by the turnout. So we either had people who go to bed at a reasonable hour or just love Jesus more than sleep. Either way, I'm so glad that you're here. Well, today, not only is it New Year's Day, it is my my four-year anniversary on staff here at this church. Oh, stop, stop, stop. Come on, too much. That's too much, too much. Thank you. So just curious, straw poll, is anybody here starting a new job today? Today is there? Well, I... I had a punchline. Nick's ruined it. So, Nick, come on up here. I'm going to interview you on the spot. Nick, you got to tell everybody what your new job is and where you're working. So, I get to be a youth pastor at the Indie Vineyard, actually. So, here is our new youth pastor. Yeah, we're so excited. Okay, stop. 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 Too much. Uh, so we just want, we, those of you who are uh, leaders in the church, you already knew this. Parents of students, you already knew this, but we wanted to take a time as a church to, to celebrate this. Um, before we pray for Nick, I just want to say a few things. We hired an organization to help us find a youth pastor, organization called Lead 222, the representative that we worked with had a, a far greater network to draw from uh, than what, what we have and did a lot of the initial vetting. I mean, I personally sent at least 10 candidates and uh, Dave was the guy we worked with. He, he just put forward two people. Nick was one of those. And he's, he told me early on, he said, Nick is a strong candidate. He said, anybody that comes to me, I'm comparing that person to Nick. So, yes, it, uh, such a gift uh, to us to have Nick here. Um, Nick loves Jesus, and he loves the students in that order. That's an important order to have, but it's in that order. He, uh, you know, he is such a faithful, available, teachable young man, so we're so excited. He fits great with our staff, and um, those of you who know Dave Knoll, Nick's also taken doing uh, Dave's School of Supernatural Ministry as well at this time, so getting equipped in that way um, as well. So what I want to do, we're going to pray for Nick, so Randy, if you want to come back up, any elders, uh, staff, um, youth group volunteers, if you guys want to come up and just lay a hand on Nick. proud parents up here with us too all right jesus we give thanks as we celebrate a new year um, we are thankful for this new chapter in our youth group Um, and thank you for raising up nick and bringing him here at such a time as this Uh, thank you for how you have equipped him that he is a man of god and he's going to teach. Yeah, he's going to teach our students how to be men and women of God. 
And so we just ask for an increase of the gifts that you've given him, an increase of fruit within him, the fruit of the Spirit, and to see that pour out and impact uh, generations. And we just, we're so thankful. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I also want to uh, recognize Lindy McCullough. She stepped in. Yes. <laughs> That's Lindy's fan club over there. So Lindy stepped up. She was a co-interim youth director with Nick uh, over these last three and a half months. She did an amazing job. She is unfortunately not here with us this morning. But if you, when you see her again, thank her, especially parents. Thank her. Reach out to her. Uh, she's still going to help out, um, but she's... Shifting back to a, a volunteer, um, but like I said, she's been a great teammate. She also loves the students. Uh, I also want to thank David Bradbury, Sean Israel, Nate Urban, and Urelli for the ways that they have stepped up over these last few months. Um, I don't know in what capacity they're all going to continue serving, but we're just so thankful uh, for each of them and the way that, that they have served. So as I said, uh, January 1st, 2019 was my first day on staff here. Now, what was kind of nice is I got the day off, unlike Nick. I got the day off on my first day of employment. So my second day was a Wednesday, January 2nd, we, and um, we do our staff meetings on Wednesdays, and, and we do a prayer rhythm together, and everybody was talking about, what's your word for the year? And this was a new thing. I'd never, never heard of that. I've been around a lot of different practices, never heard of this idea of asking for a word for the year, for, for this next season of life. And so it, that's something I've started to incorporate over the last few years. And it's something I'm growing in and realizing, like, the first year, I quickly forgot about it. Uh, second year, I was maybe thought about it a little bit more. This last year, probably the best in terms of keeping it front of mind. Well, over the last few weeks, I was thinking about What's my word going to be? Starting to pray for that already. And uh, December 18th, because it was Sunday morning, we're doing our pre-service uh, meeting, and Randy starts praying. I was standing just a few rows over there, and as Randy starts praying, this word pops into my mind, unfamiliar. And I realize that's my word. That's my word for the year. I, I spent some time praying through that, but I knew kind of right away that's my word. And I, I knew, almost simultaneously, I needed to repent of how the Lord had become familiar to me. And so my, my prayer for this year is, I want to know the Lord in unfamiliar ways. And, it, and the things that have become familiar, that they would actually become unfamiliar to me again. Now, I also knew I was going to be speaking this morning, and I had a few passages that I could potentially be speaking on. And so once I got that word, I knew the passage and then how it actually was going to connect to this word. And so my prayer and my hope is that through this morning, we might all catch a glimpse of this unfamiliar God in an unfamiliar way. 
So if you have a Bible with you, whether physically or digitally, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah 63. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 14. If you don't have access to a Bible, we've got in these subwoofers up front a Bible. Come, come grab one. So I'll give you a moment to turn to Isaiah 63. We're going to start in verse 7. I'll be reading verses 7 to 14. I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts. Because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. He said, they are indeed my people, children who will not be disloyal, and he became their savior. In all their suffering, he suffered, and the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Then he remembered the days of the past, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit among the flock? He made his glorious strength available at the right hand of Moses divided the water before them to make an eternal name for himself and led them through the depths like a horse in the wilderness so that they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. You led your people this way to make a glorious name for yourself. Let's pray. Lord, you are our redeemer. You're our rescuer. You give us rest. Lord, any ways that you've become overly familiar to us, would you, uh, would you reveal yourself in an unfamiliar way? Help us to see the goodness of, of who you are. Thank you for each person here that's listening or watching. You have something for each one of us. So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things, if you know anything about history of the Bible and and other civilizations that were around Israel at that time, you see that Yahweh, the, the God of the Bible, is unique compared to other gods. He is unfamiliar in the way that humanity had conceived of the divine. Now, we're in Isaiah, where we've jumped in quite late into this book, and if if you didn't know, 
there's two major sections to Isaiah. There's chapters 1 through 39, and there's uh, chapters 40 through 66. And the overall tone of those two sections is very different. The first part, 1 to 39, is heavy. God is calling out how he's going to discipline his people because they've turned away from him. And then starting in chapter 40 to the end is incredibly hope-filled. So that's where we are in this passage. God's people are not in a good place. They're not in a good place spiritually. They've been living in rebellion to God. As I was thinking about this, you know, we can have times in our lives where we are praising God because we've seen him do something, and we're giving thanks for what he did. We're responding to what he did. Or we can praise him because we need him to do something, to move in a certain way. And we need who we are to come into alignment with that truth. So, for example, maybe you've seen God provide or redeem something or save somebody. And so you praise him for that work that he did. Or you need God to provide or to redeem a situation, or, or save somebody. And so you praise him for those things to, to give you belief, faith, and come in alignment with that, that God is going to do the thing that you're praising him for. So when Isaiah is writing, he's in that second group. He needs God to move powerfully. He knows God's done it in the past, and he's asking him to do it again. This morning, there's We've got three R's we're going to be looking at. I did that for Randy. We're going to see how this is an unfamiliar God. The first is there's unfamiliar redemption. So when Isaiah talks about uh, God seeing Israel, that uh, everything that God did was out of his compassion for Israel, and this abundance of faithful love that, that God has within himself. And he chose to enter into intimacy of relationship with these people. He had high hopes. It said in there, they're not going to be disloyal. That, that messes with me a little bit, like, wait, God, you know all things. You know the future. You know that they're not going to be faithful, but yet you say they won't be disloyal. Verse 9, Isaiah says, in all their suffering, he suffered. This is not a God who remains aloof. This is not an impassive God. He's not one who remains unaffected by the things that we go through. You may may not know this, but we're actually still in the Christmas season. The 12 days of Christmas isn't just kind of a weird song. It's a real thing. We're still in the 12 days of Christmas. It's a helpful reminder, Christmas is not a one-day thing. In fact, I would say Christmas and Easter are an everyday thing. We should devote special time to remembering God becoming man and God dying on the cross on our behalf for our sins. But those realities are always true. The Christmas story reminds us that 
This is a God who fully entered into human existence and experience. This is so unfamiliar that the creator of everything would enter the world with such little fanfare. He wasted an angelic choir on shepherds out in a field. The puppet king Herod didn't even find out that Jesus was born until he's probably two years old. This is a God who enters into our lives, our situations. That's why Paul tells the Philippians, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything, because God cares. So I, later, Jesus will, will tell us to consider the flowers of the field and the birds of the air and how our Heavenly Father provides for them and how much more valuable we are than them. So your suffering, no matter how big or small, matters to God. One of the things that we do regularly when, when we gather is invite people forward to receive prayer, any kind of physical pain. Your aches and pains, even if you think they're minor, they matter. They matter to God. There's no minimum on what he'll do. You know, praying for, for those aches and pains isn't about the limit of what God's able to do, but it's the extent to which he cares. He's willing to heal those little things. Because when, when God moves in those small areas, it gives us faith for bigger things. Right? We're, we're never going to, for ministry time, limit, say, we're only going to heal people with pain level of six or higher. <laughs> Below, sorry, deal with it. There's something called Tylenol. He's happy to heal, and there's great abundance. I don't know why we don't see more healing, but it's never because there's lack or a shortage or a recession or depression in God's economy. Never has been, never will be. So again, we see this unfamiliar God who fully enters into our experience and relationship with us to redeem us. Now, unfortunately, there's also we, what we see in this passage, familiar rebellion. Again, verse 10 says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he became their enemy and fought against them. Unfortunately for us, just as constant and amazing as God's compassion and love, human rebellion is just as constant. The story of the Bible is the story of a faithful and extravagant God and humans who are wayward and rebellious. We see it in the garden at an individual level. The man and the woman have one command, and they rebel against God. Israel's history is filled with rebellion against God. The church, even at the very beginning, rebelled against God. Isaiah says, so he became their enemy. When I, when I read that, when I thought about it, I'll be honest, it was challenging. Where's the compassion and being slow to anger? But there were long stretches of time before God disciplined. 
And it's a reminder, God didn't change. Israel did. His discipline was him standing firm to who he is. Because even though God enters into our suffering with us, he's not codependent. God is never, I need you to need me. I want you to want me. Who sang that? I don't remember. Cheap trick. Okay, I've got my... God's not saying, go on doing whatever you're doing as long as you're happy. You can worship other gods. Just remember, you know, occasionally acknowledge me. Rather, I think in the way that a parent can seem oppositional to a child when the child is rebelling, so God seems oppositional to Israel. It's how when anybody puts up a firm boundary with unacceptable behavior, it often gets met with, you're selfish, you don't care for me, etc. God's saying, I'm not going to enable what you're doing. And since God is a good father, he'll discipline us for our benefit. And it can be challenging for us at times if we're going through something difficult to, to process through. Is this discipline, my loving Heavenly Father disciplining me? Is this opposition from the enemy? Or is this the reality of living in a fallen world? And a couple of questions diagnostic questions is, is there anything the Lord has asked you to do and you're not doing it? Is there anything the Lord has asked you to do and you're not doing it? Or is there anything he's asked you to stop and you haven't? Is there anything he's asked you to stop and you haven't? If the answer is yes to one or both of those, we're not experiencing the fullness of who God is and what he has in store for us. There's relational conflict there. Now, fortunately for Israel and for us, this familiar rebellion does not have the final say. Verses 11 to 14, we see unfamiliar remembrance. Isaiah says that God remembered his people. Now, this was not any, because of anything that his people had done. It just says the Lord remembered the past. Now, there's lots of imagery here with, with animals, but it's largely about God doing the miraculous and providing abundance. This is what the Lord wants for us, to, to deliver us and bring us to a place of freedom and abundance. The other thing that happens with this unfamiliar remembrance is that we receive God's rest. Rest is a common theme in Isaiah. Personally, I've struggled with what's restful for me. It's a common question to ask myself, how do I rest? What does that look like? And this past week, taking some time off, on Tuesday, I was feeling really restless. I, know, I was able to notice how restful 
I was. And it's hard to be restored when we're restless. Maybe you can relate to this. A common question I'm asking myself is, should I be doing something else or something more? It's hard to be present to what you're doing when you're, at, when you're asking yourself, is this the right thing that I'm doing? Even if it's just the task, not, the, not this big life question, but just in the moment. And any, to the extent that I'm able to shut that down, helps me to be more present and experiencing that restoration. Rest is something we all need on some level. We all struggle with one of three things. I am what I have, I am what I do, or I am what others say about me. Rest reminds us that we have immense value. To truly rest is to find out what the work is beneath the work. Rest isn't just taking a day off from work. That's a helpful practice, but that should help us to see what's beneath that, what's striving us, what's pushing us forward. That's what we need the rest from. When I really believe that my value doesn't come from what I do or what I have or what others say about me, then I can begin to rest. And that's actually the rest that the Lord has for us. Because we think one of those three areas is our salvation. Right? If I do the right thing, or if I do it enough, I'm going to be okay. If I have the right things or have enough, I'm, I'm going to be okay. If the right people say the right things about me, I'm going to be okay. So again, this is the unfamiliar remembrance, a place of God acting on our behalf, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because it's who he is. And wants to bring us into this place of, of deep rest. What we see throughout the scriptures is that God chose Israel and rescued her from slavery. That we see God becoming a man and dwelling among us. Those are unfamiliar That's not how the other gods were conceived and worshipped at that time or still today. This is a God who interacts with us in unfamiliar ways. His grace is unfamiliar. His character is unfamiliar. We all have some misconception about who God is. And so what would it look like for you to meet God in an unfamiliar way this year? Just as important, are you open to that? What would it look like to meet God in an unfamiliar way and are you open 
for you what needs redeemed this year? What can God buy back and use for good? What familiar rebellion would you like to leave behind? What's something that God has invited you into or asked you to lay down that you're not choosing to yet? So again, what, what familiar rebellion would you like to leave behind? And what's something that you need God to remember? What's a, a promise that he's given you that you need him to fulfill? And do you think it depends on you? Are we being childlike in our asking? Here's what I mean by childlike. Hopeful, joyful, incessant, and even pretentious. Do it again. Father, you said you were going to do this. I need it. I need it now. Our kids don't care. They don't care what else is going on. They're going to ask and ask and ask. We get to be the same way with our Heavenly Father. As I shared, my, my word for the year is unfamiliar. There are 8,760 hours in a year. We're less than 12 into this new year. So that means there's 8,748 left. If you don't have a word, it's not too late. You got lots of time. I highly encourage you, seek the Lord for a word, a theme, a verse, or a picture for the year. A uh, pastor that I follow on Twitter, a guy named Glenn Packiam, he and his wife wrote a book called The Intentional Year, and uh, the subtitle Simple Rhythms for Finding Freedom, Peace, and Purpose. So again, The, the Intentional Year by Glenn, Holly and Glenn Packiam. Uh, to not give a false impression, I've not read this book yet. I mean, <laughs> he just happened to qu put this on Twitter uh, yesterday. So he says, a word for the year is a theme, a phrase, a word, or even a picture that serves as a headline or banner over the next season. It should describe what God is doing so it describes what God is doing and how we can join in. It's not a resolution or a goal. Those are focused on what we do. A word for the year is a word from God, a sense, a nudge, an awareness of what he is up to and how we can partner with him. I think that's a helpful way of to think about this practice, right? It's not about what sort of thing do we need to do this year. Rather, asking God to open our awareness to what he's doing so that we can partner with him. If you don't think you have faith for, to, for God to give you a word, you can use mine. I don't, I don't own that word. Because here's why. 
Because God's going to reward us pressing into something. Not that we get the specific word, but that we're going to trust him to move, to speak to us, to do something in our lives this year. So I invite you to press into what the Lord has for you. And as a, a, a part of that pressing into, um, if our ministry team can come up, uh, Amy, if you can come back up. So as I said, we make space to pray, to pray for any, any needs that you have, physical, emotional, spiritual. God cares about it all. And in fact, if you have a minor ache or pain, come forward and get prayer. Really, don't think it's too small. Because that, when God heals that, that's going to give you faith for something more, for something bigger for him to do. So again, if you're somebody that has a minor ache or pain this morning, come, come get prayer. We're not limited just to that. It can be about anything. Another, another thing that I think might resonate for people to come get prayer for is during worship, I just saw this picture of actually my different words from the past few years put into a blender and got all mixed up together. It doesn't ruin it. It creates something new. And so I think some of us this morning, maybe we have separate parts of our lives or, or promises or words, and we're not sure how they fit together. And I think this year, they're going to come together for you, create something new. So if that resonates for you, come get prayer. If we have any other prayer team people, come forward. Um, I was given a word earlier during um, what Adam was talking, and um, it was a picture of sort of like a bathhouse with sinks and um and the way it was described, and if I said it wrong, please come and find me and I'll fix it, um, was mixing different oils. Um, and sometimes if we mix the wrong ones, it, we can sort of leave a gross smell. Or it's, it, it's not what it's supposed to be. And it says, God has a plan. And he has the right mix and the right things we need for the situation. The key is to let God lead and then you can bathe in the fragrance of what God provides in this coming year. So include God in your plans. When we plan, we plan and we miss his goodness if he's not included. Let him lead and then you can rest in his goodness. So if any of that resonates with you, come forward, uh, get prayer. Again, if there's anything else you need prayer for this morning, Come get prayer. Amy will be, will continue playing. Feel free to sit um, and just kind of soak in this. Rest. Our prayer teams will be available.
So as Randy said, um, we're praying for the Atkins. So if you want to come up and, and pray along with them, um, you're welcome to do so. If you, if you need to leave, you're dismissed. May you go in the, the grace and the love and the compassion of the Lord to share that with others. Again, you're welcome to stay. Our, our prayer teams will be up here for a while. Thanks. Have a great week.